Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Welcome to the show. I'm Higher Peaks, and I'm sitting here with at-home mushroom cultivator and podcaster, Mike O'Geeky. Welcome to the show. What's up, man? How you doing, brother? I'm glad to have you on. I've had a lot of requests for you. Uh, why don't you go ahead and explain, let everybody know on you know my listeners who you are, what you're doing, uh, and give us a little background if you could. Sounds good. Well, uh, I like to say I'm just a guy in a basement. <laughs> it's true. I'm okay. just a guy in a basement, right? Um, I'm 46. I am an emergency room uh, registered nurse. Uh, I have ADHD, so this is my fourth career. Um, I, I think mushrooms are, are getting pretty close to career number five for me. Uh, I've done 100 different jobs. I, I'm a shining example of all the great and all the uh, not so great aspects of ADHD. And about a year and a half ago, I read an article that said people were using uh, microdoses of psilocybin to help their ADHD. And it took about four milliseconds for me to say, oh, I guess this is what I'm going to do now. So I jumped down the rabbit hole and it's felt right every single moment since. And it's turned into a small little Etsy side hustle. It's turned into a podcast. It's turned into a thriving discord, social media presence. And here I am. Well, I'll tell you, your reputation precedes you. I mean, you're obviously well known, especially as a podcaster. Um, that's how I found you. I watch a lot of your shows. Well, all of them. Um, and you brought such a variety of people. Have you found that tough to bring, you know, those types of higher level people to a live show? I mean, that's that's gonna be a lot of work. Uh, sure. It's a whole lot of work. It's sometimes it, it's honestly more work than I even I think rationalize in my head. My wife will remind me, however, of just how much time and energy, uh, and and especially initially money uh, it was taking to get this going. But you know, it started. Um, so as I got into this this hobby, you know, growing mushrooms at home, particularly cubes, though I was also growing other medicinals and gourmets, just because the cultivation aspect is so fun. And I enjoyed it so much and I was learning so much about it. Um, but there was a point where when I started, uh, I made a sterilizer. Next thing you know, all my friends want it. Next thing you know, they say, hey, you know, there's a real market for you. You make a really quality product. You should consider selling it to people. As I was spending more money in mycology, my wife, of course, was saying, you're spending too much money in mycology. So I said to myself, all right, well, if I get this little side hustle going, Maybe she'll leave my myco bucks alone and, and, and I, I can, I can have a self, right. I've never had a hobby that actually I could make money on all my hobbies just cost money. That's what hobbies do. Right. 
Right. So, uh, so I started making sterilizers and, uh, I guess I made good ones. I think I make the best, but you, you know, there are other good ones out there too. There are a lot of people that, that make them. Uh, but it afforded me a little cachet in the cubensis community. So people that wouldn't answer my DMs now are talking to me. They want a sterilizer. You know, they, they, I, I think the simple act of contributing to the community, it changes your relevance. It changes people's perception of you. You seem like a little more serious entity within the community. So, so I was having conversations with people all the time. Uh, you know, you're talking to Dave Wombat, you're talking to Yoshi Amano, you're talking to all these guys and they're telling you stuff and you're sitting there going, these guys are telling me stuff that I know they're not telling everybody. Like sure. I feel like I'm in the inner circle. So while that's all happening, this other thought in my head is happening as I'm talking to other, you know, new growers and just people I'm meeting, which is a lot of people are coming into this community for the same reason I am, which is Western medicine. It's awesome. I work in it. Um, there's lots of awesome aspects of it. I say people's lives. I literally saved somebody's life yesterday, but there's also a lot of problems with Western medicine and there's a lot of shortcomings and with regards to psilocybin, it is novel. It is exceptional. It is doing something in a way that there's no other analog. There's no other medicine in pharmacology that works the way it works, right? Mm -hmm. There's no other medicine. I can't give somebody a, a, a heart medication, you know, maybe to improve the contractility of his heart and say, well, it works better if you want it to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I was seeing this happening and, and I'm talking to people, they're telling me sad stories. Uh, psilocybin got me off heroin. Psilocybin helped me quit smoking. Uh, I was suicidal and depressed my whole life. And then I tried psilocybin and I experienced joy for the first time possibly ever. And so while I'm hearing all these cool cultivation tips from these great growers, I'm also hearing these sad stories and I'm thinking, there's this gatekeeping that's happening and it's happening specifically to make sure that, and now, by the way, because I referenced uh, Dave Wombat and Yoshi Amano, don't think this is who I'm specifically talking about. Uh, it's not, right. but, but I, there was some gatekeeping happening because the, the tricks of the trade, the secrets, um, you know, they didn't want everybody to have all of them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was having a one hour phone conversation with, with a great cultivator one day. And at the end of it, this thought just popped in my head, man, I wish I had recorded that. I would just send that to everybody. And then like two days later, I'm watching a Joe Rogan experience <laughs> and it just, it was done. I, this, there was a moment, just the curtain was lifted and it was like, bro, you're doing a podcast. Uh. You're just, you're doing the podcast. And so I was like, this is going to be fun. I love talking mm -hmm. to people. Um, and, and we went for it. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, and you, it seems like you jumped in, what, doing lives? Did you jump in from the beginning doing lives? Yeah. So in the very, very beginning, and this, <clears throat> this is a nice cautionary tale. Um, so this community, the, the Cubensis community, I imagine the cannabis community is not very much different, though I would not consider myself a, a, a member of the cannabis community. Um, but a lot of unstable people, a lot of untrustworthy people, uh, a lot of people that are doing their best, but sometimes their best is not cutting it. Mm -hmm. 
So I had a partner in the very beginning who was going to handle all the production aspects of things. And uh, so we recorded one little thing on Discord and that worked out well, but Discord capped the number of people who could watch. So we were about to make the move to, to YouTube. And then that person didn't show up that night. I had actually scheduled Gary Hefferly, a fresh from the farm fungi, another great YouTube content creator uh, who mostly focuses on gourmet mushrooms. Um, I, I booked him. He took the time out of his busy schedule. And uh, my production partner was uh, MIA, didn't show up. So that never happened. And so I said, okay, I uh, guess we're doing, guess we're rolling solo here because uh, I can trust myself. You know, I, I know I'm going to show up. So uh, from that point on, I've just been trying to figure it out. I've been plagued with audio issues. I've been, you know, <laughs> my 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 studio here is also my lab. That is not a prop. That is a real Inverco Mac 10. It works. I see it. That's where I do yeah. all my mycology. Nice. And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's the room's a little bright. I don't have maybe a podcast voice to begin with. So my voice is bright. Room's bright. <laughs> figuring out the audio. I was plagued with audio issues in the beginning. But we're figuring it out. That's awesome. Okay. I mean, you're doing good, man. It, it's it's great. I, I actually look up to your your live ability. Um, something we're looking at. But that's a scary. It's a scary arena, man. It is. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just had an experience uh, that has made me actually. I, I think I will still do some lives here and there. Sure. I think I'm going to make them special events. We're going to hype them up a lot, you know. Um, but no, I made I, I'm making the move to pre-recorded, not just to tighten up the content a little bit. Um, I was doing man. We just did an episode with Dave Wombat and Nikki Maiko, uh, two great uh, breeders and uh, spore vendors. And, uh, man, I blinked and we were five hours in. Yeah. So, it happens. you know, as we're doing long form content, content over here. So, uh, but I getting a lot of feedback from people of, man, it's taken me a week to watch your podcast. They're too long. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, make it a little more digestible. We do not live in a long form content world. Um, so yeah, we're working on that, but, but I will resist the, the, the shorts movement. I don't think it's going to last. I don't, I, I don't No, And I mean, you know, I, I see, you know, in my stats, even I see, uh, I see how a longer show will, people will break off about halfway. <clears throat> and, um, yep. and so I've, I've done the same, you know, I've cutting them in half and, and making parts, part one, part two, if I need to, cause a lot of it's really good info. It's just that, man, I mean, we don't, how many people have four hours to, to in one right. sitting? You right. know, but uh, yeah, somebody it, asked me one time, they're like, oh, you don't listen to your podcast again. I go, I don't think I've ever listened to a single one for more than a few minutes. Maybe I want yeah. to figure out what I said about something, something. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the control over being able to edit stuff out, though. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Now you I wanna... just had to do that. That exact situation. Yep. I know all about it. <laughs> uh, now, did you want to kind of talk about uh how people look at you know um mushroom cultivators i mean yeah there's yeah there's uh mycologists there's uh mushroom cultivators i guess you could say uh at home mushroom cultivators. i mean you want to yep. talk yeah about so that? so i would love to talk about that so um i used to love calling myself a mycologist i'm a mycologist i love mushrooms i'm studying <laughs> yeah. mushrooms right yeah. so i'm a mycologist 
And then I met this guy, Ed Grant, and he is a real mycologist. He has a PhD in mycology uh, focused on taxonomy. So I, I built a relationship with him. We started having him on pretty regularly, and uh, he didn't ever say anything about it, but through coming to learn his depth and breadth of understanding about fungi on a very high scientific level, um, I realized, wow, I'm not a mycologist. That's a mycologist. You know, uh, even like citizen scientists like uh, Alan Rockefeller, like it only took him 20 years to, I think, justifiably say, I'm a, I'm a field mycologist. This, you know, but he doesn't even describe himself that way. He's a digital creator. That's how he describes himself, who is, you know, an absolute lover of mushrooms. He, I don't know if there's a moment in his days not thinking about mushrooms. So um, I, I talked to another one of my buddies uh, one day and he said, you know, I, I he used to go by wardrobe uh, mycology on Instagram and he changed it to wardrobe fungi. And I said, hey, why'd you change it? And he goes, you know, I realized that I was stealing some thunder from, you know, there's a huge academic world of people who love mushrooms enough to get PhDs and devote their entire careers to them. And I respect that. So I, I don't want to take that away from them. Now, my personal take is if you have any sort of scientific background or just a deep hunger to learn science and be grounded in scientific practice, and you are devoting yourself to the hobby uh, in a very scientific way, sure, call yourself a mycologist. That's great. I'm choosing, however, lately, I used to say that. I used to say, um, we uh, we go deep so you can level up your at-home mycology game. Ooh, and I, like and I changed that to, to your at-home mushroom cultivation game because I think that's where we're all really starting. That's really where the passion is, right? Most of my audience is coming in trying to grow this fruit so that they can experience what psilocybin might be able to do for their lives. And so probably mycologist is, is a bit of a stretch in the beginning. You might be able yeah. to work up to that. Yeah, sure. Sure. But, and I think there's a certain level of, I would say experience you would need or, or something yeah. to it. There's gotta be some substantialness to, to the, my being a mycologist, but right. um, I now love mushrooms enough to not call myself a mycologist. There I you go. Where I'm at. Yep. Sure. Sure. Um, Mushroom cultivator is an interesting uh, term too, uh, but I think it covers it okay. Why do you say at home? That makes me curious. Here's why. So I, so I don't know about you. My first experience with mushrooms, I was a teenager. You know, I, I lived in Western Michigan. Um, the buddy who usually sourced fruit for us got them from like some farmer's son. They, they were always crushed up. They looked so sad and pathetic. They were in a little Ziploc bag, right? And uh, we were just trying to have fun. You know, we'd get some visuals. Everything was funny. There was some euphoria to it. Um, but it was definitely a recreational experience, right? Um, and back then, if you knew how to grow mushrooms, somebody decided to teach you. It was probably your dad taught you how to grow or your, you know, the goofy uncle or the like hard to control uncle, Right. So this stuff was passed down. Shroomery is still pretty new. So when I was getting fruit, there was no shroomery. So this is all passed down the old fashioned way. And so my belief is that the further back you go, 
the people who knew how to grow, they probably had like a bit of a reverence and sacredness to growing the fruit. They also knew it, it was a fun, safe drug. It was a source of income for them, but they were definitely the supreme gatekeepers. We now live in a world where there's no, uh, you know, I'm trying to do my best to make sure there's no gatekeeping. If something's to be learned, I'm going to learn it. We're going to talk about it. And uh, so I think the when we talk about the mushroom community or we talk about the cubensis community, I think the tone and the demographic of that is about to shift radically from primarily people growing fruit to sell, to provide income for themselves um, or because they know there's a market demand for it uh, used on a primarily recreational level, let's say 10 or 20 years ago to now it's, it's, it's normal to be highly educated career professional um, when I sell sterilizers, I sell to people in trailers and I sell people uh, who live in million, multi-million dollar homes with yeah. very high level careers and literally everything in between. So I'm, I get to see through that business who's into this and it's everybody because everybody has mental health issues. Everybody oh, has yeah. all the stuff that psilocybin is starting to be scientifically proven to help depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, PTSD, uh, coming to terms with terminal diagnoses. Like I'm just right. That's the tip of the iceberg. So I believe that there's going to be an influx of people who they don't want to have to figure out where to buy illegal schedule one drugs from, but they might feel comfortable buying some spores or a culture and some substrate and trying to grow a tub of fruit out. So yeah, I'm, and I'm trying and saying that to focus on this is my, this is who I'm really trying to talk to. I'm trying to mm -hmm. talk to that person that needs feels they really need to try this medicine. So they're going to be growing it at home. Yeah. And I've noticed that as uh, tech techniques have like kind of gotten simpler, uh, a lot of these companies are putting out these simpler ways of of people being able to grow mushrooms. I don't know how effective that is yet, but, um, Oh, we can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we do though, I want to ask you about this. You said you're a nurse. So I do you, I mean, you must see a ton of people that could benefit from this and it, you can't really, can you even reach out? Like you, you can't say, Hey, oh, can't like, I? Well, I mean, higher well, peaks. Can't I? Oh, I'm doing it every day. Good, good, good. I good. can close that exam room door when the doctor leaves and I can say whatever I want. Excellent. I have okay. agency as a nurse now. I, you know, nursing just throwing a pill in your mouth and leaving. I, I, my role is actually the, the advocate and educator of all patients. So um, when it is appropriate, I'm talking about medical cannabis. When it's appropriate, I'm talking about psilocybin. I treat good people who, uh, you know, have Parkinson's and their tremors get so bad that lactic acid builds up in their muscles. They're just sore and aching all over to the point that they have to come into the hospital. And I just say, you know, I, I find the right time. I gauge the situation and I say, have you ever YouTubed uh, using medical marijuana for Parkinson's? Have you seen those videos? Nope. I pull my freaking phone out right then and there. I let them watch the video with my phone. I'm doing it every day. Yeah. Would would my yeah. hospital like knowing I'm doing that? No, would, <laughs> I don't care. Though. Well, good for you. We have an advocate. And you want to you know, know what's really what, what's really exciting is I've probably done that in the last year one or two hundred times, 
And I can only think of one time when that discussion was clearly absolutely shut down. They didn't want to hear it. And I ended it soon. Everybody else talks about it. I remember this one guy, uh, this was actually about a month ago. Um, I, I brought up, uh, medical cannabis. He's got chronic back pain. And then, uh, I think, no, sorry, it was his wife. And then the, the guy made some comment about, oh yeah. And have you heard about, uh, what they're doing with magic mushrooms now? And of course I get the big grin on my face. Like brother, you don't even know. As you put your and hat so we on. Got to talk, yeah. We got to talking about it. And, uh, he was like, you know, what's crazy is I remember back in the day I worked with this guy, uh, who microdosed mushrooms. He told everybody and he said when he microdosed, he was the most amazing worker. And when he didn't microdose, he was like, they all wanted to fire him. So you got a, you got a drug that makes you a great employee. Like how's this shit still illegal is what I want to know. <laughs> like, it's the new America. coffee break. <laughs> it's yeah. I say that every day. I say, I promise you in five years, microdosing is going to be the equivalent of just grabbing a cup of coffee in the morning. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Um, I think I people should like be willing to have those conversations. Oh, I yeah. think they might be surprised that as long as they're, you know, assessing the situation and being careful about it, um, I'm actually going to be doing a podcast coming up themed around how to start talking to people about this. Like what are the safe ways to start talking? That's good. That's good. Because I don't think, I think like reefer madness, there's somewhat of a sense of, I would say psychedelic madness, not just, you know, mushroom oh, madness yeah. or whatever, but just psychedelic yeah. madness that has come along with it. Everybody thinks you're going to go crazy, climb trees, jump off roofs naked, all that other BS that's been right. talked about. Um, but I mean, all the dose, from man. my experience <laughs> at the yeah, right dose, well, you can do all those things. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're talking about like to, to intentionally take that kind of a dose. That's, yeah. I don't know. I don't, it seems like. I mean, I don't know if you watched that new Michael Pollan uh, Netflix special, you know, that's based on his book. Um, but you got these old church grandmothers going in for their <laughs> sessions. And I love it when everybody does these things. $3,800 for a session. And and I'm just like, I work in the ER. If you walk into my ER, it's 1500 bucks just to exist there. And then if we do literally anything beyond talk to you for five minutes, it's going to turn into a five to $10,000 bill. $3,800 for some of the, you know, some people, some people just pop pills in their mouth. They don't care. But some sure. people, they, they want safety. So by the time you hire a doctor to oversee your protocols, you might have a nurse on staff. Uh, you got a psychiatrist or a therapist. You're buying a space. 3800 bucks is probably about where you have to be to be really, really safe and do everything the right way. I mean, I hate to say it, but there are well, people. I and yeah, go. Well, I, I really, this is something that, you know, when you said you're going to come on the show, I, I really wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, Oregon has now opened therapeutic use. Yep. So now our first service center just opened. It's in Eugene and it's called Epic Healing. Um, Hopefully it is. <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to run this by you. I've got the, I've got the price sheet here and, um, for actually for a uh let me read it to you here let me let me find it it's um 
So for a high dose, so they consider a high dose, 2.5 grams to four grams. Uh, that's a six hour session. Um, there's no group. You can only do it individually. And that's 3,500. Okay. So what's your thoughts on that? Um, you just said well, 3,800. Yeah, I think that's the the last number that I saw, you know, on social media or something <laughs> like that. Now, do you know that that six hour session, is there any prior sessions leading up to that? Or is that just show up, get high? Yeah. So let me go for that. Let me tell you about that. So the 3,500 covers the one six hour session. It covers a one hour prep session and then a one hour integration. So the, the prep session is to get you prepared for an hour. Then you go through your six hour trip and then you have a integration one hour uh, session after that. Uh, and then that's what the 3,500 covers. Then you've got to pay the 15% Oregon psilocybin tax. And then you okay. pay fi $15 a gram. For <laughs> Wait, you pay how much a gram? <coughs> uh, $15 a gram. <clears throat> oh, okay. Woo. Uh, I know I'm like, I mean, but once you're paying 3,800 bucks, that's almost nothing. So. <laughs> right. It is. It is now. Uh, and there's no discounts. So that's just a flat rate. And, um, now if you go below that, this is interesting. If you go below that to a medium dose, which is 2.5 and under a low dose, which is 1.5 and under, and then they have two levels of micro dosing. You can go as cheap as a hundred milligrams for $500. And that's a okay. one to two hour session. And that's more recreational. It's almost like they are offering recreational because you can do that in groups of yeah. people and uh, there is no integration or prep session. So right. it's almost like the lower doses are recreational and then a medium or high dose is considered therapeutic. And then. Right. But so what do you think about well, those prices and, and what they're saying on this? I mean, that's not even going right. to be accessible for even half the people, I don't think. It's not. It, it, but. All you got to do is watch my podcast, your podcast, <laughs> all the other podcasts. I, I mean, so I get people every day. I mean, some days it's like 30 people going, I want to grow or, or I'm growing. I'm not having success. And I say, it's real easy. I'm going to send you to a guy that sells uh, fully colonized bags of grain spawn. And I'm going to tell you where to go buy some sterilized sub. You're going to go to Walmart and buy a $2 dub tub. You're going to buy two of them. You're going to be all in well under $100. You're just going to mix it up, pat it down, and forget about it. And you're going to have $500, $800 worth of fruit. And for some people who just want a microdose, that'll be enough fruit to get them through the entire year. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So that's why I'm here. That's probably why you're here, right? Oh, yeah. There are many <laughs> yes. people who do not need these centers. I, these centers don't threaten me and my audience in the least. No, no. Um, uh -uh. Somebody and also some old lady to just for whatever reason to get over the stigma she grew up with to feel safe. She might need that $4,000 session. And then once she has it, then she goes, I'm going to start watching Michael Geeky's podcast. There you go. Yeah. I, <laughs> I use my $4,000 up. So my right. whole, I look at it like this. My big picture is there's a huge stigma around this and this, those centers will serve people who can't get there on their own, 
but can get there under the guise of, you know, medical safety and all that kind of stuff. Great. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, they don't I, bother me in the least. The people who no. can afford it and are drawn to that will go to those. It's like an True. ayahuasca session, right? What those cost, you can go down to Latin America on your own dime and find these people on your own and probably have a more authentic experience. Well, you but know, some people aren't cool with that. Right. I get that. I get so. it's got its place for sure. This therapeutic setting in 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 this day and age and in, in the city setting, not somewhere off in the Amazon, somewhere I see its use. Uh, and I think that and this is speculation, but I also think that it like you just pointed out, it's going to push and drive the black market because there's oh, going to be gonna hurt a large no, market. There's at all. Go, yeah, no, there's going to be a large yeah. segment they're going to need. Uh, the black market, if you will, uh, the right. gray market here, um, because now you can possess it. But um, see, I, for me, that's like so. There are laws that I respect a hundred percent. They're they're needed for social order. They're needed for uh, just obvious reasons. And then there are laws that don't make any sense to me whatsoever. I have no like. I sleep fine at night mm -hmm. growing mushrooms. And when I started the podcast, I made the decision to, to do a video podcast and to encourage people to come on because we got to show everybody that this isn't just a bunch of wooks. This isn't yeah. just a, like, like I am not part of, I have no problem with, and I have been a part of in the past, the recreational drug community, right? Mm -hmm. I've gone to a rave. Mm -hmm. I've taken my MDMA. I've done what I'm <laughs> supposed to do. And that yeah. was fun when I was young, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I'm a grown-ass adult. I'm 46. I got three kids. I got responsibilities. And, uh, man, it, you know, as you get older, they do not tell you life never gets easier. Every passing day only gets harder. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you, you got you to gotta grow up. It's great yeah. to do that stuff when you're young. Shoot, you know, what do you got? Let's try it. That was me. Now that's not me. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have a problem with those price tags. Uh, I've also run, I run a construction company. I ran a recording studio at one point in time, uh, running a business that is sustainable is tough. Most people can't pull it off. Most people are undervaluing what they provide. So the real business people are making these decisions and setting these price points. So I'm going to assume for now that they're figuring out how to make this worth their while and safe and sustainable. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, that will, if they're, if they've inflated these prices and it could be done for half, I mean, we live in a capitalistic society. <laughs> yeah. it, it will change. Somebody will come in and do it for less than, and we'll do it for way less. Ooh, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think a lot of it is because it's regulated now. I, I actually applied for the mushroom cultivator license. I don't, I haven't gone completely through with it because we're having trouble in this county finding a place that will lease a building to even do that because right. right. um, they have to sign your application with you. But yep. um, yeah. but See, uh, stigma. that's what we got to that's what we got to work on. There's no more important thing to advocate for right now than to, the destigmatization of this drug. Yeah. 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 And that's how I mean, and I we don't have to turn this into a sociology lesson, but just real quick. Right. Um, heroin is schedule one for a reason. Uh, medical marijuana or marijuana and uh, psilocybin containing mushrooms are not. 
Those were uh, divisive, controlling uh, reasons that those got put on. No, no medical benefit. We've already proven that's not true. They should already be right. off schedule one. Yeah, yeah, should it's, it's just absolutely done. ridiculous. Yeah, and it's, that's why I know for asinine. a fact it's going to it's going to happen in the next five to ten years. It's it's it will come off. Although where you're at, it's still highly like it's still. Like you don't want to, you can't even possess yet, can you? Oh, definitely not. No, but now <laughs> oh, my, my eight-year-old <laughs> is is friends with a girl down the street. Her dad's a SWAT cop. Oh, you know, like grow mushrooms. That's oh, geez, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. No, it's it's not a big deal here either. It's just, uh, but um, anyway. So uh, I wanted to uh, kind of ask you. I don't want to switch tracks too fast, but I also wanted to ask you. What kind of styles are you doing? You're doing tubs, huh? I do it all, man. I I, I love that. F-A-F-O. Um, I, w- I had actually forgotten. I was going to send you some pictures of my grows so you could see that I'm not just, uh, you know, all talk. I can definitely sure. grow some fruit. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I've done I've done everything. Uh, dub tubs. You, you know, I still love a dub tub. There's nothing wrong with a dub tub. Um, I grow in 20 quart and 32 quart gasketed, gasketed sterilites. Um, that are modded, um, though they don't have to be, but but they're a little better if you mod them. Uh, and then uh, I'm definitely a bag man. Uh, I would say at least 80% of my grows now are in bags. I grow in an open, unfinished basement that has a door to my backyard. I live in a semi-rural area. Pollen count is high. You know, airborne contamination is probably pretty high. So I just found that through growing in bags, I use a product called MPG plus a highly controversial product. All it is, is beneficial bacteria. Um, I sterilize my sub doing those, those three things. I cannot remember the last time I had trichoderma. I cannot remember the last time I had a, a truly bacterial bag. Everything works out when I'm done with it. It gets tossed done. Easy, yeah. easy peasy, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. This is, it doesn't matter. There is a proper way to use all the different types of tubs, all the different, you know, bags you can do. Um, yeah, it, it, there's so many options when it, when it comes to there what is. you are actually fruiting in, man, I, I grew some mushrooms in an old, you know, when you go buy those rotisserie chickens at the, at the grocery store, I've grown fruit in those. Oh and yeah. You, you just need yeah. to create an, a miniature environment that really doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. You know, and I've been growing. I've been told since the beginning of all this that I couldn't grow in an, in a um, like a. It's not an open air tent, but it's a highly high oxygen tent. You know, basically because mm-hmm. you know it's like you would grow a gourmet's in. I and people have told me from the beginning, you can't grow cubes like that. It's too much air. Okay, no, been doing it for. Do it <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I know lots of guys that do that. Oh uh, yeah, and and it yeah. allows me to play around. Like I, I'm mostly bags, but what I can do, I can have two fruiting styles going. I can go with a high O2 fruiting and a high CO2 fruiting, and it's really nice because. And this is a little hint for you, if you, at least for me, I, I go first flush in open air or in the high oxygen tent, first flush, and then as soon as that first flush is done, I shove that back in a bag. And man, my second flush comes quick and hard and bountiful. I'm like, wow, yep. for whatever reason, taking it from that high O2 back to 
high CO2 in a bag on that second flush and it just crushes. You're just freaking them out. You're, I mean, all the, uh, a, a great thing to realize about fruit, right? It's not the living organism is the mycelium. It's the cake. The cake is the living thing. The fruit is the flower. It's just the, you know, it's the bud. It's the, it, it is not the organism. It is just the reproductive fruit that is going to sporulate and, uh, you know, give that life cycle a chance to continue. So any way you can freak it out, the better. Right? Uh, it seems so, yeah, to be, you, yeah. You, you, you choke it out and it, if, after the first flush, it says, <laughs> uh-oh, I, I got to get rid of whatever I got. So yeah, yeah, it pops back. And there's lots of ways you can, you can trick them. You can use temperature to trick them. You can use uh, sometimes moisture to trick them. You can choke them out to trick them. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. And some cultigens respond better than others to those yeah. tricks. Yeah. So one thing I always tell new growers is start, don't get that like Pokemon got to catch them all vibe in the beginning. Yeah. It's so easy to do because now you got all these pictures of all these beautiful fruit. Pick a couple and just really get to know those for a while and then play yeah. around with some of the tricks, you know, higher peaks is talking about that we talk about on the podcast. Um, so you really kind of get a more intimate understanding of that particular cultigen and, and what it likes and what it doesn't. And then add another cultigen. Yeah. Then I think that was my work your way up. Absolutely. And, and that's where I messed up initially was I, I jumped on board with like 10, 10 genetics or, you know, 10 oh, yeah. cultigens, whatever they're calling them. And, uh, and that was just too much, you know. Um, I had to back oh, yeah. off and, it, and it then go back down to quickly. <laughs> well, it escalates yeah. quickly. At least you can storm, you know. But I, I was like, man, I, there's, you know, each one can be so different in the in the in the grow method in terms of the little details that if you don't do that, you're kind of just shooting at the dart, you know, yeah. just shooting at the dartboard. Um, yeah, man, it's like watching an HGTV uh, show about doing some home remodeling project, and you're like, oh, they did it in a half hour. It's easy. And then you go to do it, and you're like, wow, they left a nope. lot of stuff out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and I've noticed, too, interesting enough, depending on if it's a tub, bag, whatever, the fruit can look a lot different, you know, like like oh, a, yeah. my, P, my PE6 in my tent grows well, any of my strains that I grow in the, the tent, the high, the high oxygen tent, they get a lot squattier and a lot thicker, uh, and seem to be a little denser. The ones in the bags for me seem to be a little less dense, taller, and more like the picture I see when I, when I right. buy them, but I can turn, I can turn a strain into a squat pretty quick in that tent. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, so all that phenotypic of, uh, you know, variability, uh, there's a bunch of factors. The depth of your cake can influence that. The size of the environment within the tub that you're using can, can affect that. Um, uh, you know, we know, for example, if uh, a lot of the land race varieties, when they get choked out and don't get enough oxygen, you know, a lot of beginners maybe make the mistake of, of that. They get the fuzzy yeah. feet and then they also oh, grow yeah. very tall. Yeah. So there are all these little tricks you can do. Temperature, cake depth, uh, tub size, temperature, you know, the, all these cubensis, they're subtropical fruit. They can grow. I had a guy, uh, yesterday ask me, you know, what's the hottest you can go. I'm like, how hot does it get in Florida, dude? All these, yeah. all these cubensis that are growing on, you know, cow patties might be a hundred degrees that day and high humidity. So like you don't, you can't go too hot. The problem is what else loves heat, 
right? All the contamination that yep. we don't want in our grows. So yep. I find 70 to 74 is kind of a nice sweet spot for that. But uh, I know Ed Grand and a lot of other people like to, you know, cheat cheat a little bit and uh, grow 78, 80, 85. I know a guy in India I talk to a lot. He grows 90 to 100 degrees, no problem. He just has to deal with a little more contamination. Yeah, that's you know that's interesting to me because I have uh, I have an incubator, uh, an incubator tent that I run at seventy five. Um, but mm. my room itself, my my fruiting room is seventy all the time, and it's that's a good I, that's a good place to. Be. You know, I don't I don't see any contamination. I see my contamination in my auger work, you know, mostly, but um, right. but everything else is fine and uh, um. But but yeah, 70 degrees, it doesn't seem to slow it down too much. Anything below 70 really starts to slow it down, it seems to me. But it but does. 70 seems to be OK. Yeah, but um, you can use temperature, you know, as a tool. So yeah. For example, if you're going to go on vacation, toss your grain jars in the refrigerator. Um, so sometimes you might be a little skeptical, think, oh, maybe I got some bacteria going mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, with this plate culture purposely growing it in 67 degree environment will allow the the mycelium to have a bit of an advantage over the contamination so there are ways you can play with that but again my favorite thing to do is talk about the proven successful ways to consistently grow fruit because i even though i'm a passionate insanely obsessed mushroom cultivator um i i'm always telling myself most people will not be like you, dude. They will not be like you. They will be growing for the purpose of obtaining the fruit. Growing mm-hmm. will be like going to Walmart and picking <laughs> yeah, up a yeah. prescription, right? They sure. Just, it's a part you got to do. Now, some people will fall in love with the cultivation. And uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I have heard this echoed a hundred times by all sorts of people. They say, you know, I came for the the medicine and the cultivation ended up being just as therapeutic for me and teaching me so many life lessons that I needed to know um, that they find over time they're using the medicine less and the cultivation is is playing a crucial role in their overall healing process. So I, I would say that is the case for me as well. Do you see mushrooms getting as high or I should say psychedelic therapy? Do you think, do you see that getting as high as possibly being in hospitals someday? Well, I don't know if so that makes sense, but I mean, we, like we actually use, being able we to use ketamine in the hospital. It's a yeah, disassociative okay. drug. People think it's a psychedelic. It's more disassociative. But, um, you know, if I got a kid that's not, that's going crazy, they got a bad injury. They don't want to participate in their care. A uh, little ketamine solves the problem. Right. So, so we, we, we use these drugs in a hospital setting. If an old man comes in and he's got a bloody nose, that's a little too posterior to, uh, you know, apply pressure on, um, we have nasal cocaine. (laughs) We use cocaine. I can pull it out of my Pixis. We have cocaine. We have ketamine, we have cocaine. So why eventually once the stigma goes away and the legality of it changes, I can tell you this for a fact. I'm already friends with multiple physicians who are huge advocates of this. Just about a month ago, I had a med student that comes in. So we're a teaching hospital. Um, We regularly work with a resident population, but we also have med students come in. And uh, we had a med student who was going to be a psychiatrist. 
And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this up. We're going to talk about psychedelics with this guy. And as soon as I did, uh, we had a great conversation, you know, off and on for an hour. And, uh, at one point he said, really the promise of being able to utilize psychedelics in the therapeutic setting was one of the major reasons he decided on psychiatry as his specialty. So, you know, the youngsters, they're about to become doctors and lawyers and, and, and the, the, the attitudes are shifting. Like the young kids, stigma is not there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think that's good though. Um, Oh yeah. hundred percent. So, uh, I mean, that's very promising. I, I really, it's just a waiting game. It's like with old racist white guys, right? They're going to die soon guys. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I, right? They're holding on though. Teach an old, <laughs> oh man, we were just foraging down South of uh, Akron here. And uh, yeah, we were on somebody's property. He had to come let us know that. And he thought we were, you know, up to some shady stuff and got to talk about mushrooms. But he had to also tell us about, you know, his political views about uh, women and black people had to come up for him. We're like, okay, cool. You're old. You clearly have smoked your whole life. I (sighs) give you another 10 years and then we can move on. My gosh. Another decade. (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole nother. Yeah. And you're just not like you can't, I, that guy can't, I couldn't give that guy enough mushrooms to change that guy's mind. <laughs> no, no, nor would he take any, <laughs> nor would he take any. Yeah. Um, now since you, you are in the health and healthcare, uh, ketamine, why is it I can mail order ketamine, but mushrooms are still sitting on the, the bottom of the totem pole? What is, is it because ketamine is seen as already is seen as therapeutically valuable? Like previously or yeah what is it schedule two i i don't actually remember what schedule it's on i don't either um, if it's two or three but um but i can get on facebook and have ketamine in a week if it's ketamine but yeah sure well i mean, le- I mean it's supposed to be re- legally because it says i don't mean like black market but like you can go on oh. have uh get online get a doctor's appointment through like telehealth oh yeah, yeah. and then they'll prescribe it to you and you can just get it mailed to you it's like, right. So, what? but Ketamine? that's all. That's you're you're playing the game, right? They're playing the game. So I didn't know about this, but obviously this is legal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's legal, and I I just don't understand why you know things like psychedelics, certain psychedelics haven't made it that far when ketamine's just sitting there chilling, like mail order style. Yeah, and honestly, know? the the newer data on ketamine is that it's a little more hit or miss. Um, that it can it can be effective, but it is not always effective. And it does also seem to be a drug that you, it's like going to the chiropractor. It works as long as you keep going. That And that's been anecdotally the stories I've heard from, I know people who use it and say, it's been miraculous, but I can't stop doing it or, or whatever benefits I, I gained are going away. That does not seem to be the case with what I'm hearing about psilocybin. I know people that say, I had one heroic dose. I don't use it anymore. Right. Or, or some people that, yeah, some people can go a year or two, uh, even in, I know people that use it for cluster headaches, migraines, Mm, uh, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I've noticed too, and I don't know if you've noticed or, or if this is just well known, but I get, you know, especially, you know, I do on mushrooms a lot, but especially with LSD, but, uh, pain relief, man, I get pain relief from macro doses, not, not, uh, 
not on small doses, but but macro doses for me give me a good five to six hours of noticeable pain relief. No, so so as a nurse, uh, an, uh, all the so I learned to be a nurse out in Southern California. I worked with all the old school Filipino nurses, right? Man, in the Philippines, they they literally start their training in junior high school. So by the time they graduate high school, they are full fledged RNs. So I worked with guys who had been nurses since they were 14 and in the clinical setting since 14 and they were in their 60s. People that had 40, 45 year nursing careers, they just the, you know, they knew everything. And uh one of the early tricks I was taught by all these guys was the best medicine for pain is distraction. So a trip is a great distraction, right? Um, I would see this uh, in the clinical setting, someone with a lot of, I worked in a trauma step down unit for a while, a lot of people in a lot of pain trying to heal from, you know, serious car accidents or gang related violence, you know, getting jumped and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, they'd complain about pain all day when, oh, hey, can I get my, can I get my pain meds now? Can I get my pain meds now? And uh, then one of their favorite people would come visit them. And the whole time that friend was there, they wouldn't ask for pain medicine once, right? They were distracted from their pain. So I think that's a great just thing to bring up because um, it's so easy to, when you're having pain, and I have chronic upper back pain, so I know how this goes. Um, but man, when it's there, your mind, your ego immediately just says, get rid of it, get rid of it. So you just focus on it. And especially chronic back pain where you've been to the hospital a hundred times, you've tried all the drugs over time. I mean, this is the problem with all narcotic pain medication is over time, they work less and less well. And so you start on Norco, then you're on Percocets, then you're on Oxys, then you're on MS Cotton. Uh, and then that's not enough. Uh, so you got to start doing heroin. Right? I know lots of people with chronic pain conditions that became heroin addicts just because the medical establishment says, well, we can't turn you into a drug addict. So you're just going to have to be in, you know, serious pain for the rest of your life. So they go, I'm not going to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, so the, the trip is definitely a way my, my perspective on that would be, it's such an overwhelming experience. Of course, it's going to distract you from. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, in your opinion, then you're, you're thinking there's probably not like an isolation or a molecule in there that's helping. It's probably more of a, a, um, you know, the mind being so active. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Well, I mean, think about it like this, right? Like we have pain receptors, right? We have all sorts of receptors. We have bear receptors, chemo receptors, all these little receptors that are sending information to our brain. Like pain is not even a real thing. Pain is created up here to tell you something's wrong like you think about us back when we were more like apes right oh we cut ourselves on a on a twig well we need to feel pain so we can protect ourselves stop the bleeding like enact some some instinctive behavior to deal with it our bodies are highly intelligent they're sending us signals all the time uh the problem is now we live in a society that's encouraging us to ignore everything our bodies are saying I'm exhausted, but I'm going to stay up and watch a Netflix special, right? Or I'm anxious, but I'm going to keep doing the same thing, even though that anxiety is telling me I need to make a change. Like there's all these little ways that our bodies are trying to make us do something. That's all our brains are for. Our brains control our bodies. 
So when, when our brains are sending signals, do this, do that, and we're not doing it, it creates cognitive dissonance. It creates depression, anxiety, all that stuff, man. Obviously, with uh, things like Parkinson's, do you think that um, it will have help with that? I know cannabis does. My uncle, you had mentioned that, but my oh, uncle yeah. actually uses. So do you think that things like Parkinson's and nerve diseases, it'll help with too as well? So at this point, and I don't know if you saw the episode we did with Dr. Rick. He is uh, an ex-brain surgeon, neurosurgeon. So he has, you know, high-level expertise. He, he typically, from my understanding, did a lot of trauma uh, brain surgery. So he was preventing herniations. He was dealing with major spinal cord traumas and things like this. Um, but his, his tacit knowledge of uh, neurology and how the brain works is pretty high-level, even though neurology in general is still a nebulous science, right? Like there, there's way more we don't know about the brain than what we do know about the brain. But we're now at the point in scientific exploration where we're, we're starting to model uh, receptors on different tissue types. So we can then take that into the sophisticated software and say, well, we know the receptor that psilocybin binds to. So now we can create all these, these derivatives, all these variants on a theme that we know would, would bind in that same way. And so it really is going to take that really high level science to understand why things are working. Like here in, in the cube community, we all know what's working. Like there's a point where after you've heard the thousandth person say, this is helping me, I don't need to see a study to know that it is definitely helping people. A thousand people aren't that tell me the story aren't making it up. The problem is the science hasn't caught up. The science hasn't looked at it to figure out what it's actually doing. So like when, when Dr. Rick came on and he said, well, we're actually figuring out now that psilocybin um, dulls the default mode network, which is the automatic track of how we behave, right? It's what keeps us addicted to cigarettes or keeps us seeking out the, the drugs that we like, whatever, um, or, or behavioral patterns that don't serve us. We just keep doing them because our default mode network is so ingrained in how, how the brain works. And so the studies are now saying, well, psilocybin dulls that effect so that we can use our frontal lobe, we can use our higher level thinking. Because, I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care how, quote, end quote, intelligent you are. You are most of the day just going through on autopilot, right? We're making a lot of decisions automatically all the time. So the fact that psilocybin, especially in all the research so far, is showing on a very high dose, so above two grams, you know, more into the heroic dose range, it is such a radical reset in the mind that it's now allowing things to be rewritten and it's providing an opportunity for new behaviors to, behaviors to be established. So this is where the integration is so crucial. So like when you're paying 3,800 bucks to go to that little therapy session, that last hour of integration, that is where the magic is going to happen. Right. So yeah. if the person doing that is really good, my bet is, is the people that are doing the integration going forward. And this is my hope to start looking at this uh, more closely uh, as this evolves. I think that's going to become a shamanistic like level person, whether whether they learn it uh, in academia, whether they just have a knack for it, whether they are learning it, you know, old school or they a combination of all those things. 
that that ability to integrate and that ability for us to then start researching scientifically the best ways to integrate the experience, I think that's where all the magic is going to happen. I agree. I think that there's going to be a lot of responsibility on those people, though, because, you know, there's some there's some interesting things that happen under macro doses. Uh, connection is one of them. And, oh, yeah. you know, being in a clinical setting and then, you know, the the connection thing. I mean, I don't know. There just seems like some areas that you're going to have to be very careful with so that you don't cross. Well, so let me tell you this. So when I take care of people at work, um, some people, they got their walls up. There's nothing I can do to win them over. And so that experience ends up being what it is. I just, I do my job. I take care of them. There's no connection formed whatsoever. And then there are other people that are absolutely ready for the connection. Some people want the connection and then other people I can win over. There's that, that middle ground. All the magic for me happens when I can form a legitimate rapport with a patient. They trust me. I can teach them more. I can get buy-in on, on the, um, the interventions that we're doing in every way, shape or form. I'm better capable of taking care of a patient when they trust me and cooperate with me because of that trust. So you're going to have these people that are bad at that integration. Like they're going to go get their degree or they're going to take their certification course or whatever, and they're going to suck at it. And the people who fund these are going to want to make money. And if that guy sucks at his job, that guy's going to get kicked out. And, and they're going to start learning that finding somebody that's really good at that really matters. It's like finding a good masseuse, right? Mm, oh, yeah. There's average masseuses. Now that I go to masseuses a lot, but I, I've, I've gone enough to know that some of them can be amazing. And some of them are just doing their job. And, and so, I yes, in everything, everywhere, you always have to worry about people that are in it for the wrong reasons that have no concern for your humanity. I'm, I'm hoping that, that the system will work those people out and they will not be successful because it's all going to be about the data and the numbers and how successful all this stuff is. Right? So if you got a center that's got a shitty integration specialist, their outcomes are not going to be as good. I, I can guarantee you it's going to turn out that way. The people that have somebody really special, those outcomes are going to be amazing. Well, and I feel like for 3,500 plus, I, I feel like those people are probably going to ex have some expectations. Correct. Um, yeah. You know, oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's I like wonder. When, when I, Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, when, when I take care of very wealthy people, um, they just expect top class care. And then when I take care of really poor people, actually, they try to demand high class care. Oh, um, then there's the middle class and they just, you know, they really, I mean, the, without getting too political, they sort of just take what they're given. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's interesting. But yeah, I think anyone that's going to spend that amount of money is inclined to have a, a higher expectation. But I also think those people might not, like I think you were hinting at earlier the idea that for you, and I think for me it would be the same in most cases, um, I don't want to be in a room with people I don't know having a profound trip. But with that said, um, you know, they've done work at John Hopkins, they've done work at Harvard, and these people have come out of these very clinical settings saying, 
they had one of, if not the most profound spiritual experiences of their life. Because again, when you're on that trip, that room ain't a room anymore. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, no, I get you. (laughs) I mean, that all falls to the wayside, right? That that is not uh, what it's all about. So, but what does matter is that set and setting, that intention, and some people will feel very safe in that setting. I agree with that. I just hope that those people that don't feel safe, I hope they can uh, uh, work with that because, you know, obviously that setting could really um, affect your your macro dose. <laughs> it could. I mean, if you decide, my, if you my de- yeah. If you if you decide 20 minutes into your trip that that all of a sudden you don't feel safe or this isn't right, man, you could just spiral downwards pretty quick. I mean, the the studies are not showing that to be an outcome. I I get it. I get it. So yeah. far. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Could I it happen? Sure. I I think that and this is the problem with a lot of science that isn't just hard hyper data-driven uh scientific testing. The stuff that is a little softer science that's more uh, qualitative than quantitative, um, the way it's set up is very important. So we, we might do uh, a clinical trial on something and it all works out great uh, when it's a volunteer, but then let's say now you somehow broaden the cohort that you're studying to include people that maybe wouldn't necessarily want to go to one of those centers. And then maybe you would start seeing outcomes not being quite as favorable. So I think it'll be self-regulating in that sense. Like only people that go, oh yeah, I, uh, you know, this is where I would feel safe to have this kind of a trip. I want, I want a doctor in, in an office in the back. I want a nurse holding my hand, whatever it is. Um, whereas the, then the people like me and probably like you, like I want to be camping. I want to be in the woods. Or I just want to be alone knowing that somebody's nearby in case something happens. Uh, and that's what I want. So I, I'm not drawn to that setting, but I know a lot of people who that would be the only way they would do that. And for me, again, to go back for us for the trees, big picture, the more people who at one time in their life had a stigma around this and then had a new profound experience, now we're building the amount of advocates in our community that come from all walks of life they look different. They sound different. They have different races, classes, creeds. The The bigger and the more like all of humanity that population is, uh, the easier it is going to be for us to advocate and, and make our point. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. Well said, man. Well said. Okay. You are a smart guy. I can tell. You're logical. And... Uh, I see how you could really grasp things fairly easy. Your electronics, you obviously have some electronic skills. So where did that come from? I mean, did you just sit down and grab a a book on Ohm's Law and and decide to make your own electronics? Did you go to college? The reason I ask is because I actually got a degree in electronic engineering. And so Mm -hmm. just the little work I've seen from... Yeah, well, I and from the work I've seen with you, I'm like, why have I not done this? Right. Um, Well, I can tell you right now, uh, you know, I get a lot of people that end up liking me and then want to support me by ordering a sterilizer. And I'm just like, dude, do you have a flow hood? No. Okay. Please don't buy a sterilizer. Every order I get, I'm literally never trying to sell more of these because I can never, I was up till three last night working on sterilizers because I'm behind on my orders. I had to actually shut down 
the sterilizers off my Etsy shop because I was getting backlogged. I couldn't keep up. So I have the problem of every time I get an order, that's four hours of work for me. So, um, but as far as doing, doing the work, uh, my dad was a industrial tech major. He did everything from master welder to building contractor, everything in between. I've also been a building contractor. I've also been a, a very high level bespoke furniture maker. I went to school for furniture making at one point in time. So I'm a craftsman for sure. I, I am good with my hands. I like making things. Um, there is no greater satisfaction in the world than creating a thing that didn't exist before your intention to create it and then seeing it and going, this is what I did. It's right there. I'm not, I'm not on zoom calls all day, right? Like we're at the end of the day. You're like, what did you do? I don't know. You talk to some people I don't know if that even amounted to anything. Right. Right. So, uh, I think just the the craftsman in me uh, had me approach that a little differently. Sure, I just probably understand electronics better than most people. I wouldn't consider residential electric to be really high level electronic understanding. It's really not that hard to figure all that stuff out. It's just um, a big scale version. <laughs> yeah, I I just did things right. You know, I just went to the right forums because I I saw some of my well, then they were, weren't my competitors, but I wanted to build a quality product. Like I can't not want to do that. So I just, I buy really expensive, uh, solder. I buy really nice flux. I take my time. If I, I, I test every component, like I get these big bags of switches. I I test them for impedance and, and, you know, continuity. I, I just take a little extra time. I use a MOSFET switch, uh, what happens in the ZVS circuit is that when the the circuit disengages, it throws like a huge burst of voltage through it and it ends up frying componentry. So I put the MOSFET switch in it, which is rated real high amperage and voltage. It, it protects some of the componentry by having... Could you put a diode that. in there somewhere? Well, there's some diodes. Yeah, that's on the ZVS. Yeah, yeah. that's pre-built into it. Um, I wonder if yeah, you could put like a decent... diodes and all that. Yeah, I wonder if you could put a decent one in like right after that. Well, you don't matter. It doesn't matter. You've got it fixed with the other switch. So, yeah. Um, so so I did the best I could with my limited, you know, I, I would say maybe I'm not. Uh, I know a few things, but, but I'm definitely not a uh, electrical engineer by by any means. I, I'm actually hoping to to source. I've been trying to find a company that will help me design a PCB board. Um, because I got to get my production time down on them. I'm just I'm spending too much time doing a lot of like uh, wiring harnesses. I got a lot of operations to get it done and uh, I just don't have the time anymore, but I, I would like to keep providing this product to everybody. Uh, I, w- I would like to keep getting some of the money that's coming in to fuel my hobby. Um, so yeah, that I just try to do things right. Uh, most of the people who are doing it, it's, you know, I, I had other competitors at one point in time say things like, you don't need the MOSFET switch. And I said, well, but I'm going to, when I, if I sell one to higher peaks, he's going <laughs> to buy it once and he's never going to buy another one. And the whole time he's going to go, holy crap, somebody that actually made something to just yeah. work, you know, like old mm-hmm. Philips Magnavox TVs, like they still work from 80 oh, yeah. years ago. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. If they turn so, on, they're going to turn on forever. <laughs> they are going to turn on forever. Yeah. So yeah, and and to date, I think I've sold 350 of them, um, which extrapolate out the uh, uh, amount of uh, man hours it's taken me. I mean, 
I've been up till two in the morning, many a night over the last year and a half. So, uh, but I have had only one arrived defective still to this day. It totally perplexes me how it arrived defective. Other than that, they all work all 350. Some of them, they all work. They're all working just fine. It doesn't matter if you're a high level vendor that's moving a thousand plate cultures a month, uh, or you're just a guy like me that's growing for himself in a basement. They all work because I built it the right way and I got a five-star rating on Etsy. I'm a star seller. It basically means I do everything perfect. It took me months to get that that status to figure out the level of expectation they had. I'm also the only guy um, in the Cubensis community, I would say that's like a, a real known vendor that sells on a third-party platform that's really trusted, has buyer protection I, I got to pay more taxes, right? I don't get to not pay taxes on those profits. Um, Etsy gets a 10% cut. So mine are not the cheapest, but mine are really not that much more expensive when you start factoring in all that stuff. But I'm already regretting telling you too many of the reasons to buy my product because I what? I can't keep up as it is. So don't oh, just no. buy it. If you don't, right. if you don't own a flow hood, guys, get a flow hood. That A pressure cooker and a flow hood, if you're getting serious about this, step one and two, once you have that and once you maybe have a nice table for your flow hood and you have a nice storage rack for all your gear, then start thinking about, okay, I, I got most everything I need and now to really just be the the cherry on top, I'm going to buy one of Geeky Sterilizers. But until then, there's so many things you need to buy. <laughs> I agree, you know, and and like you said, a PC and a flow hood, like if you're really going to want to enjoy it, like it to the fullest and and yep. want to have some some enjoyment room, I like to call it some comfortability. You've got to do that. I PC was first for me, flow hood was second, but I just it's it made it a whole whole lot better. Oh, and yeah. I'll be honest, you know, my my dab rig torch works fine. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I do yep. go through a lot of butane, of but I mean, you know, it's hot enough. And it that's gets really it, man. You know, if you're if you're thinking the sterilizer, whoever you buy it from, if you're thinking it costs too much money, um, just save all your butane receipts. I know. <laughs> you probably no. already bought one. Yeah. Butane is ridiculous. And then yeah. add the fact but, that I do use it for other things. So. But now let me tell you this. Um, I know everybody has the butane torch just because uh, such a significant amount of the population also is in the cannabis community. Right. They're doing their dabs. They just already have it. Stop using your butane torch. Go to Home Depot, buy a $20 propane torch. Mm, yes. Like 20, the, and the one that has the trigger is 24 yeah, bucks. Yeah, yeah. Turn the gas on, press the trigger, you're good yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. And, and those tanks last the Over. one I started with a year and a half ago is still, still full of gas. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a good idea. I, uh, I've just been using my small one, but that's a good idea. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be buying um, one of yours though. I will be someday. Someday. Okay. I'll make sure I call you though and say, Hey, uh, geeky, uh, you busy? <laughs> I know. I just You're shut like, the yeah. shop down about a week ago. I got like 19 people that keep bugging me. When is it going to be open? Give me a you minute. Mean, your Etsy, your Etsy shop, or yeah. So I, I deactivate the sterilizer listings oh. um, when I'm trying to catch up. I see. so uh, when that happens, then of course everybody who's thinking about now, of course, if it wasn't closed, those 19 people, maybe only four of them would actually buy it then and there. But because I've taken away the availability of it, 
you know, just because I don't want to get behind and I want to keep that star seller, you know, really that Etsy star seller thing, it's similar to the going to the fancy integration therapist and paying $3,800. I know that some people really just want that peace of mind. People who don't, they're going to go buy it from the guy who's a 20 bucks cheaper anyway. Cool. Go buy it from him. That's cool. I've, I can't tell you how many people I've sold to that are like, well, I bought it from this guy and mine broke in six months. And so now I don't want to buy from him again. I'll buy from you. And I say, Hey, well, why don't you have him fix it? They wanted too much money or they didn't respond to the email. So I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah, I get it. Your it's business is selling sterilizers, not, not maintaining and supporting your product. Cool. And my way to support the product is not have them ever break. Cause I also, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to fix these. Right. Well, I actually I, I, thought it yeah. all through. <laughs> like, well, that's I good. don't want to be fixing these things. Well, I don't blame you. And it is a testament. If you only had one out of 350 that have been defective, that's a testament to the board itself. I, yeah. Yeah. my last job, I worked on hospital, the big um, um, MRIs in the hospitals. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We built all the internal components for some of them. And um, let me tell you, man, it's we did not have that low of defect rate. <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, little, I bet that board was a little bigger than my ZVS board is. Oh, I know. Like yeah, no, two I, I know. Two inches by yeah. two and a half yeah. inches. But. Well, we had little office, um, little like, um, um, what are those ultrasound machines? We had little office ones mm -hmm. for doctor's offices that we worked on. And even those seem to be bitchy, but yeah. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, that was the problem with everybody I've approached to work on a PCB, like a prototype for me, more turnkey where you're just plopping one big board in and everything's kind of done for like first step prototype. They're like 10 to $40,000. And I'm like, I haven't even, I mean, I think I did $20,000 of sales so far, something like that. So it's like, I, I and that's not half of that. Half of my cost is literally uh parts. So <laughs> Like, okay, won't be doing that anytime soon. With this high demand and the growth that you're seeing in the cultivation world, are you going to be able to stay being a nurse? Are you going to end up going into uh, mushroom world full-time well, at some so point? Or? My wife works full-time. She's a consultant in, in the nonprofit sector. And uh, so she's an independent contractor. So she gets no health insurance. And I got three young kids. And mm. uh, so... You so need it. I need health insurance for now. Um, someday... I mean, of course, I, I would someday love to, I mean, I I love this way more than I love uh, going to work and dealing with, with the corporate entity that acts like it loves patients when it really just loves money. And yeah. Well, and your job's got to be highly demanding, emotionally and physically. Mm, yep. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes you're, you're you know, delivering news that you know you came in for a cough and we found lung cancer and then you have to deal with that sometimes when you're resuscitating uh patients and they don't make it then you have to interact with you know people in their absolute worst moment of their lives and it is draining yeah it's pretty well and then you you're dealing with people that are in pain and sick and worst days it's like their, it's their I mean, worst being, day. This is yeah. why nurses and cops get married, actually. Like, you know, most nurses are still women, but uh, the nurses love to marry cops because uh, they get it. They kind of do a similar job, right? Cops and nurses deal with people on really bad days.